the scorecard for me is, is more of, of when I look back on it is my life resume. So like if I said to you, Noah, you know, tell me three things you did in 2013 that were unbelievably memorable. Like you'd have to struggle to think. Certainly if I said to you, what'd you do in August of 2013? I guarantee you in August of 2013, you had, you were worried, you were anxious, you probably were happy, you were depressed. You went through a million different emotions, stressed out because you were doing, who knows what you were doing, but you don't remember August of 13. I just climbed Mount Washington with five friends. I'll remember every minute of that for the rest of my life. So that's my scorecard. My scorecard is how many of those memories do I have at the end of the day? Welcome to Noah Kagan Presents. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Hot Sauce, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. So during Christmas, I was in Vail, Colorado, and I started reading this book called Living with a Seal by Jesse Itzler. And the book is how this dude was just living a regular life, and he ended up wanting to change it, so he hired a seal to live with him for 30 days, and how it kicked his ass. And the book is just a page turner that you get through really quickly, and you're just super amped. So I literally went outside and started running in the snow and doing push-ups. You don't understand once you read the book. Uh, and it motivated me enough that I just reached out to him because he talked about in the book, he just cold calls people and says, hey, we're going to be friends. So I was like, he's got to be cool if I do it to him. So I was nervous. I definitely kept thinking about it. I couldn't let it go. I cold tweeted him. And uh, let me read off the tweet. It said, hey, man, finish the book in 24 hours. Great. Went for a snow run this AM. Love to promote your book to 200,000 people. What's the best email? So he gave me his email. So I want to read off the cold email. Why? Because I think it's a good template that you can use whenever you want to send a cold email to someone. So the subject line was your new friend from Twitter. So I referenced what we already just talked about. Secondly, I said, hey, love the book, complimented him, which was genuine, and it inspired me to run. A lot of people don't want to know just a compliment. They want to know how what they've done has affected you. So I said, reaching out. I have a large group of people I want to read your book, Living with a Seal, uh, 200,000 readers. Even if you have a small amount of readers, you could just say, I have an audience I want to promote something to. Uh, as you did in your book, I have a feeling that we should just be friends, smiley face. Why? A, both Jewish. B, love your energy and felt we learn, uh, enjoy and learn a lot from each other. C, both exercise regularly. And D, both lead a fun business. I run AppSumo.com and Sumo.com, an eight-figure company. E, all of the above. Just kidding. I just I only wrote A, B, C, D. Uh, then I did a call to action. Love to connect this week. How's 4.30 p.m. Eastern Thursday? Be awesome, Noah. P.S. Happy Jewish New Year, or New Year. Uh, anyways, he responded, long story short, a month later, I was hanging out in his office, and later that night, I was able to even sit in the owner seats at the Atlanta Hawks game. I think a lot of people, when they're in their 20s, they invest a lot of time in going to the gym because they want to look good, so they can meet somebody, or maybe they show better at business, in their 30s to 40s, when they get married, maybe, they want to stay in shape. From 40 to 80, yeah. you want to stay alive. You want to stay alive. <laughs> like yeah. getting a six pack and going away on spring break, That no, you want to stay out of the hospital because one out of three people get cancer and heart disease. You know, It's like there's a lot of stuff that happens. So there's a big shift. So looking at yourself in the mirror becomes way less important when you're older. Hmm. You'll see. What did you say? Because we were talking a little earlier, like, don't get married, wait till 40 to get married. 
I can just see it in your eyes. You're not ready. That's, my therapist is the same thing. Well, I can see how you're looking around the room. Hey, first, hey really? Think so. well, the first thing you said to me was, there's a lot of good looking <laughs> women in Atlanta. That, that doesn't actually, sound like someone that wants to meet one person. That's true. I, I think I want, I want to not want trying to, to ruin your No, 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 no like I appreciate the listening. They might be like, yo, I, you know, I, I don't care. No, I, I like the- Noah. I like Noah. Noah's not ready. I'm not trying to ruin your situation. That's interesting. Cause, so, no, and I appreciate the feedback. Feedback's always good. There's three scenarios for you. Okay. Right girl, wrong time. That never works. Wrong girl, right time, meaning you're ready, but she's just not the right girl. That doesn't work. Or right girl, right time. Right now, even if you met the right girl, I think it's the wrong time. My opinion and knowing you for three minutes. <laughs> so you're, you're out of that book. So for you, wrong girl, right time is never going to work. You have to wait for right girl, right time. And based on where you are in your life, building your business, spending a million and a half dollars on sumo.com and all the things that you're doing, you are not in, in my opinion, that would be a distraction for what's going on in your life right now. You're still exploring. It's so clear to me. I'm not a therapist, but it's so clear to me. Do I, do I pay you now or at the end of the session? You're going, you're going to travel to the Middle East to live. You came here for a day. You know, you're attracted to all, a variety of women. Atlanta women, yeah. I can see the way you just, you know, the way you get your whole get up. And that's totally fine. So why would you, why would you conform and change because people are putting pressure on you to get married or whatever? Wait till it's right time, right girl. I got married when I was 40. How did you know that was the right time, right girl? The right time was I had uh, gotten a lot out of my system. I was sick of going, you know, the routine of going out and trying, like it wasn't fulfilling to try to meet someone and have a short relationship or something. Um, I had done enough in business. I was tired. But most importantly, I needed, I needed a, uh, like a companion that was like supportive. I needed someone that if God forbid someone passes, my parents get sick or whatever, that I know is in my corner. And, you know, and then all the other things have to fall in, you know, you have to like spending time, you know, all the other boxes have to get checked, but it was the right time for me because I really needed that going forward to the next chapter of my life. You're not in the next chapter of your life yet. You're still in your early second chapter. First chapter was growing up, school, kid, you know, whatever your parents taught you, all the stuff you went through, your parents are divorced and your dad passed away. That was your first chapter. You're in the early part of your second chapter, which is building sumo, building okay dork, building all these things that you're doing, running around, traveling. You're still figuring it out. And that to me is not the time to settle down because you'll then you're going to resent your partner for taking away the stuff that you wanted, that you still want to do. So go do it. Dude, how, two things. How are you so perceptive? That was really like a, the analysis for like four minutes now is very impressive. <laughs> so one, how did you, how do you get this level of perception around people? I'm guessing you do this with other people. And two, this is going to be harsh for me to hear, but I am curious more what other perceptions you have of me. Because it's kind of very interesting to get like a raw, like I don't fucking know you whatsoever opinion from someone that, that doesn't know me whatsoever. Well, you got into my office. I, you know, you, you flew here to see me. So that's aggressive and uh, persistent. You must've said something on the phone that convinced me to say yes, because, you know, I would never normally do this just, just because how I spend my time is so important to me. And it's the most important thing. So something happened. My honest perception of you, listen, I live in a different generation. So when I, when I was your age, there was no Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or digital marketing or 
you know, I'm 15 years older than you. So that, that stuff wasn't in my life. You live in a world that's a lot different. You were raised in a world that was a lot different in the world I was raised in. We have very different skill sets. We approach each other differently. The first thing that came to my mind in full honesty is when you came into my office, we greet each other like we knew each other for 30 years. You gave me a bear hug and the whole, yeah, what's up? You know, da 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 hustle, the whole hustle game. And um, if I was, I, I, the first thing that went to my head is, because I had been in that situation, going into rooms, pitching people for deals that were super successful. And, you know, when I was started Alphabet City, this company, I went to a guy named Bob Sillerman, who was a bazillionaire and, you know, um, a media mogul. And I wouldn't have walked into his office like that. I walked into there with tremendous honor and respect to have the opportunity. Now I'm not Bob Silverman. I'm not saying you have to go and bow down to me at all, but I, it just made me realize that we live in a different generation of connectivity and you're in that generation and I'm not. So we're separated by that. You woke up today, got on an airplane, did whatever you did, took a class, went, walked around Atlanta. You're going to go get lunch. You're going to do your thing. I got four kids that are on my mind at all times. So we're, that's what hit me is like, wow, I'm not in a bad way or a good way, just in, in a way of like, A, I'm getting older and B, it's a different generation and I have to merge me personally. This all went through my head in two seconds when I saw you. I have to merge into that world or not. Huh. And what are you going to do? I'm going to merge into that world through, <laughs> through people like you, but I don't have the energy to, to play in that world. My relationship with time is way different than yours. You think you're going to live forever because you're 34 years old and you have a, 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 and I live like I might not. So my MO is to build the best relationships that I can, help as many people as I can, and get as many life experiences as I, as I can. That's, that is not, there's nothing else on my agenda. I mean, of course, my family, and, but that is where I'm at in my life. So how I spend my time and who I spend my time with is super important to me. Every minute of it, every minute of it, that will happen to you maybe, hopefully, as you get older, but right now, you know, you're on top of the world. You can afford to travel and go around and go out to bars and do all the stuff that you want to do, which is totally cool. I did that too when I was 30 because you don't care about time. You think you have an unlimited amount of it. So your priorities are probably different than mine. That's my opinion. So I just approach people with an appreciation as it relates. So I think a lot of people's uh, relationship with time is way out of whack. I completely agree. We give it away too freely give it away freely. Or even in jobs that you get paid shit or you're not happy with. I don't understand why people do that either. How has that changed for you over the years? It's a lot of saying no to stuff that, you know, in my, listen, in my 20s and 30s, I said yes to everything, everything. I had to laugh at jokes that weren't funny and sit in rooms and do all that stuff because I wanted to make deals, make partnerships, be liked, all that stuff, you know, be accepted in a room, in a board meeting, in a pitch meeting, or all that stuff. So you have to say yes. You know, hey, Noah, man, we sit with this guy for 15 minutes. He wants to learn more about list building. Like, how does that help Noah? 
You know, like maybe, you, but you don't want to say no because you don't want to be like, oh, no is a dick. He said, no, he, we, guy couldn't give me 15 minutes of his time. So I did that for my 20s and 30s. But then what happens is you lose control of the most important thing that you have, the only thing that you have other than your health, which is your time. So the way that I eliminate the fluff is I made a very simple pie chart. And I said, there's 24 hours in a day. I sleep seven of them. That means that there's 17 hours left in the day. I take three of them for me because, and that could be to do anything, run, sit here with you, uh, sit in a sauna, watch TV, do nothing. But those three hours are mine and they're cumulative. So I might get 15 here, 30 there. But when I'm in those hours, I'm not feeling guilty that I'm not with my kids or not at work and I still have six hours left. Now, of course, you have to eat, commute, family and other stuff. But my point is, even taking three hours for yourself, you have so much time in a day if you eliminate fluff. Now, if you want to go and sit and watch the Kardashians or take these 15-minute meetings on list building from people that want to get your attention or whatever, cumulatively, that adds up to a lot of time. And I haven't been. It's a work in progress. And that's why I've been giving a lot of thought. But if you're not organized in that regard, how can you really do the things that you want to do efficiently? I think in your 20s and 30s, in your 30s you, know, it's a diff- you have a different pie chart. You might sleep six hours and work 10, but I still think the three hours for yourself, no matter what age after college, is super important. I really do. I think you have to be able to take time every day to do the things you like in yourself, or you're going to live with a lot of resentment yeah. and anger. The, the two things, uh, I think you'd appreciate this. I've been trying, I mean, I've been experimenting. One I started at, uh, last month, which is a 5 a.m. challenge. So getting up at 5 a.m. every day. And I get so much done and I'm so much happier in my day. Yeah. Because it's quiet. I can do whatever I want. I have no distractions. Uh, so I've really enjoyed that. And I love filling up my time with things. So my challenge for this past week, I started it on Monday, is no planning and a lone week. So I haven't, my whole week is empty. And I was like, well, I'm going to come here. Right? And I was excited Sunday. Yesterday, on Monday, I was like, what am I going to do today? I was like, I'm going to go camping. So I just went camping alone. And then I was like, well, I want a mountain bike too. So I went camping and mountain biking alone. Then yesterday at dinner, I got invited to a dinner party. I said, no, I'm alone. So I stayed home alone. And then a friend is like, hey, you want to come uh, racing on Thursday? I was like, text me Thursday. I'll see what I'm doing. But I'm probably going to be alone. This is the stupidest example, but I was pretty happy with it. I was parking. At the campsite. Alone? Alone. Because I went to the camping alone. Perfect. And uh, I didn't know which campground to choose. If someone else was with me, I'd probably be a little self-conscious about it. Because I was like, you know, I have the time. Why don't pick the perfect campsite? Not perfect, but pick the one that I'm happy with. So I drove back and forth twice to make sure. I was like, okay, it's this one. But if someone else was with me, you'd be like, oh, they're probably fucking thinking I'm a pussy. Or like indecisive. But I'm like, no, I, I really want to find a campsite I like. Right. And I just was thinking, like, oh, I'm so glad I'm alone. I don't have to fucking cater to anyone's opinion. And right. It was actually self-building. Being alone and choosing yourself, choosing things I want to do, uh, it's very powering. It empowering. Is. I love that we've talked about time. I think it's so powerful that most people are ignoring. Um, but if you don't plan your time, someone else will plan it for you. Right? And that's a cheesy line. We've heard that. But it's fucking true. People on our team are like, you're doing this. And then someone emailed me, like, can you talk then? And then I was like, No. So it's been really cool, and, and what I've realized, uh, importantly for next week, is that, and I do have shit next week, and I'm pretty aggressive already with removing things, but removing everything, like when it's empty, it forces me 
to think about what is actually important. What do I really want to put on this calendar versus just having shit on the calendar because it's like, oh, you want to do a call? No, fuck a call. I'll call you when I'm free or just call me when you're in the mood for it. We're going to go European style. See, it, it, it'll, uh, it'll change when you have kids. <laughs> and wife, and wife. Yes, it'll all change. That's why, going back to my, our original conversation, enjoy your time. How did you know when it was time, and then how did you choose Sarah? We were both very independent. You have to know what you need and what makes you tick. I needed a long leash, so if I said I want to go climb a, you know, climb a mountain and tell her <laughs> a 10-hour notice that she would be like, okay, I get that. He needs to do that. And that, so I, you know, I had like a little, not a checklist at all, but just yeah. you know, like a mental, it just clicked in, in the buckets that were important to me over the long term, because this is all over the long term. And Sarah, I mean, she's an amazing woman, obviously amazing woman, and uh, just offered a whole side of stuff that I had never experienced or seen in all different areas, just independence, humor, uh, values. It just, we just, we're just very aligned in all that stuff. And we're very different, we're, which is even crazier because we're, we're complete opposites in some of the key buckets. Like what? Food, believe it or not, is a, is a really important thing. If, you know, if you're a vegetarian and a vegan, I am. She eats everything. So we're not compatible in something that people spend a lot of time you know, bonding over. I'm a big endurance uh, junkie. She doesn't want to run a mile. So that's another thing. A lot of people will play tennis or go for runs yeah. together if they're, they're both triathletes or they're both, and we're not. But we still have made it, you know, but she appreciates that and I'm fine with where she is and that, you know. How'd you decide that wasn't a deal breaker? Like, because a lot of people like myself would be like, I want my partner to come and do certain activities with me. Because when we do do plenty of stuff together, but she, uh, you know, she understood that and allows me, if she, was a, if she was a woman that said, listen, you can't go for a three hour run today, and I love three hour runs, that would never work. So even though she's not gonna go on the run with me, she's understanding. And you know, if she gives me those three hours, which she does, and she wants to go take three hours to get her nails done, of course, you know, so we have that flexibility, so. Why do you think she chose you? Uh, I mean, Two nuts equal a pecan. I don't know. <laughs> Have you said that line before? No. Well, that was pretty good. I just looked at our pecans. Yeah, two That's nuts why. Equal a pecan. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. I have. Um, and then the, the Jewish thing. You said she converted. I don't know if that, you don't want that public or not. Oh uh, yeah, it's fine. What was that about? Because like, so as I was saying earlier, I've never been with a Jew. No, my my uncle's married to a black woman. My brother's married to a Vietnamese. My cousin's married to or is dating Hispanics. And so it's like, no one's kind of continued our heritage. And like, after dating the Christian girl I was telling you about, I've kind of been like, maybe I need to keep this going. So it's been weird to kind of explore that. And I don't like going to synagogue. I think it's boring. But my father's from Israel. So I'm, I'm not sure where that lives in my life. Right. So for me, just tradition was super important. So, you know, more about just consistency with my kids, our kids, and uh, more than anything, honoring my parents, you know, and their parents and their parents before them, that was always been a very important thing. So, you know, I'm not super religious, but I am traditional. I like that. Was it, did you, was the discussion hard or was it like, because it's hard for the women, right? They have to, or man, whoever converts. Is like, I think if it comes from a place of pure honesty, it always kind of works out. So, what does that mean? Just like, this is the reason why this is important to me. This is 
upfront early. I mean, we discussed it early on. Yeah. So it wasn't like the last minute, like we're getting married in a week. By the way, if you don't convert, you know. And she's not, she wasn't super religious growing up at all. She's not religious now. Yeah. I think we both kind of march towards karma versus religion. What do you mean? Just, you know, do the right thing and the right thing happens to you versus religion says to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. What's on your ring, by the way? Uh, my kids' names. All the names of my kids. Do you have to? Do you have to get a bigger ring if you get another kid? Uh, I've gotten four different rings. Yes, <laughs> but I'm done. So this is the official ring. That's cool. The final one. They all in it. Yeah, this is it. That is really cool. Did you? Okay, I, I was talking about it with someone like because obviously she know the company and people know the money. Like, was it weird because you you married someone is that's making more? I don't know. If that's some, I was trying to figure out how to say that in a non dick way. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't weird for me. I was really happy for her. Uh, when she, we had that a money conversation bef- right before we got married, like a couple of days before we got married. Really? Why so late? Uh, I had made some money. She had made some money and we just, it just never, we never really talked about it quite honestly. I mean, I knew she had money. She knew I had some money, but we never really said like, how are we going to handle our finances forward? Yeah. And she kind of just tapped me on the shoulder and said, I, I think I'm making more money than you think I make. <laughs> And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And then we had a conversation. Did you actually share the number? Not. Yeah, yeah, she shared where she was. And I was like, you know, super happy for her. I was like, couldn't that happen to a better girl? I mean, so well-deserved. She's generous. She doesn't, you know, she's given the giving pledge, pledge to do the giving pledge. So she's giving the majority of her wealth away. So the more money she gets, the better it is for humanity. So I think, you know, so I was just really happy for her. That's a great attitude. I think in the past I've been like, no, I'm going to be the breadwinner and I've got to make more. But I think your point is very, that's a great point. It's like, why not? Like, why not be happy for that person? Yeah. And I, you know, I'm very proud of my accomplishments, not talking about financial and what I've been able to do on my personal life resume. The money wasn't the scorecard at all. You know, I'm curious about like when you guys were dating, who paid, who paid for dinners? Did you always pay like? I, I paid. Okay. And then did you got, I, I was just curious. I was like, does the person who makes more pay? Like, no, I mean, you know, I just felt like that, that would be a lot. Yeah. yeah. That would be, you know, uh, just that wouldn't be right. And then another, this is personal too. I, I'm curious cause I think about this cause I've made some money and not, I'm, you guys are there and then there and then there's no down there, <laughs> but maybe below down there. Um, prenup, no prenup. Like how'd you guys discuss that? Prenup. Okay. But I think everybody should have a prenup regardless of. Interesting. Yeah. Because you could come into money one way or the other and you just got to, you, you know, you don't want to have to, you don't want that to impact. By the way, I've never read our prenup. I don't even know. It's quite honestly, don't even know what's in it, but I know we have one. I don't even know where it is, but we did sign a prenup. So my attitude is like, we're never going to need it, but it's good to have, if, you know, God forbid something happens or, or whatever. So. I feel that way where it's like, look, everything we do is combined, but this is stuff I've made before you. I don't know why you deserve any of it. Like, I want to share it with you. But like, how do you guys manage finances? Like, how does that deal with in the household? And is this, I don't know if it's too personal or too offensive. No, I'm fine with it. Our relationship with money is probably very different than most people. Uh, We don't spend a lot of time talking about it, thinking about it. Uh, Never have. When I had no money, I didn't. When I made money, I did. When I lost money, I didn't. I mean, I've just never hmm. have focused on it. I think both of our philosophies around money is it's super fun to make and super fun to give away, you know, and super fun to spend. You know, we don't live super big and 
in the sense of, uh, you know, if we make big purchases, we discuss it, but we've tried to keep everything pretty simple. Yeah, I guess it was because I grew up in a very conservative, Jewish as well, conservative where it's like, save money, don't spend. Uh, and so I think even like having an assistant or doing nice things sometimes is hard because I can hear my mom and I love her, but she's on the shoulder like, you spend the money, I don't know. It's like, mom, let me just enjoy this. Because I think it's harder for them to want to think about investing and they think of just more of saving. Your mentality is, I, I love, which is just, there's more out there, let me keep focusing on what I want to do. I feel like so many couples get big arguments over money. They do, right. A lot of our friends are in multiple hedge funds, multiple, um, you know, 20 investments and this and that. And real estate. Real estate. And, you know, we just, uh, we just don't operate like that. What do you guys do? Under the pillow. Is it? <laughs> You're inviting me over. Yeah. No, hold so, no, I mean, we, we, we just, we don't, we're not in a lot of, we're not in any funds. We're not in, uh, you know, we have our, our home and, and what we invest in, and which is not a lot, maybe one or two projects. And we have our own projects. Sarah has Spanx. I have my projects that I'm working on. And um, that's it. And just in cash. is the- Yeah. It's, I'm similar. You know what's funny? I've been noticing this, man. Like a lot of my friends that have money, I just like seeing it in the bank. I don't know for, about you. I just like knowing where it is. And it's not that I won't spend it, but sometimes like the stock market or index funds, I don't really know what's going to happen out there. It might be stupid, but I put my head on the pillow and it's, I know exactly where everything is. It's under the pillow. And that's that. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, I'd much rather reinvest it in Sarah's company and my projects than in something else. The scorecard for me is, is more of, of, when I look back on it, is my life resume. So like if I said to you, Noah, you know, tell me three things you did in 2013 that were unbelievably memorable. Like you'd have to struggle to think. Certainly if I said to you, what'd you do in August of 2013? I guarantee you in August of 2013, you had, you were worried, you were, anxious, you probably were happy, you were depressed, you went through a million different emotions, stressed out because you were doing, who knows what you were doing, but you don't remember August of 13. I just climbed Mount Washington with five friends. I'll remember every minute of that for the rest of my life. So that's my scorecard. My scorecard is how many of those memories do I have at the end of the day? My frustration is centered around how do I build that scorecard? How do I build that resume, you know, before my clock runs out? How do you figure out what's next? How do you figure those out? I, you know, I don't overthink opportunity. So if someone says you want to go climb Mount Washington, I don't say I've never been on a mountain. I don't have any camping gear. I've never back, you know, by like climbing Mount Washington in the winter is incredibly hard. The success rate is like under 50% because it's minus 30 degrees. Where is it? It's in New Hampshire. It's the highest peak in the east of the Mississippi. It's minus, it's called the worst, world's worst weather because at the summit, all these different weather patterns collide. So I was like, you know, two weeks later we're on the mountain. We didn't get to the top. We got to the top, but we didn't get to the summit because of the weather. And we basically timed out. It takes so long to get up that we won't have enough time to get down. So I'm going back on Saturday. Two weeks later, I'm like, I can't sleep. I'm like, I can't believe I didn't get to the top. Fuck. So I'm going back this Saturday. How'd you feel when you didn't make it at the top? I was fine with it because I went into, I had an amazing time. And I could, I could, I could have just said, 
it was all everything that I wanted I got out of it. I do agree with you. I think a lot of times in life, I think of it like a bell curve. And I think almost everything in the middle, like the August, I don't remember shit. It's only the moments that I'm a little bit outside the norm. Of course. Because you're in your routine. You're too comfortable. I just do things that I love. What ideas do you not do? Well, I've never had a business plan. So I've always just kind of had an idea and gone for it and figured it out along the way. I don't talk myself out. I think a lot of people talk themselves out of stuff. Oh, good. And point. I just go on instinct. When has that backfired? It does. It has backfired when I, you know, when I haven't focused on the product or just gone too fast for my own good. But it's never backfired in the sense that I regretted because wow, this is the wrong industry or what well, what's been an example of that? Uh, I had a company called Sheets, these oral dissolvable strips like Listerine yeah. uh, strips that gave you caffeine instead of making your breath Smell good? Oh, it sounds great. It was great, except we went so fast, we outkicked the coverage. The product wasn't right. We rushed it a little bit. That's all. So, what do you mean? You just like, it sold too well? No, it's just the product wasn't perfected. So, the taste profile wasn't as good as it could have been. The packaging wasn't as good as it could have been. The concept was great, but we were so excited about what it was that we put it out probably early. At the end of the day, um, a good product usually works and survives, but a product, even with marketing dollars, endorsers, if it's not a great product, you know, won't survive. There's a million examples of that. What what was the lesson for you? The lesson for me is that it's okay to start slow and then um, scale it fast when it works. I really also appreciated that point you said about like not psyching yourself out. I I, I can think of like, especially the mountain biking, there's a few jumps that I just psych myself out. And eventually I was like, you're going to do this no matter what. Yeah. Then once I do it, I'm like, okay, you're being a bitch, Noah. You've already had dinner with your favorite rappers, right? I have. Okay. And then who were, who were they? Well, at that dinner, I invited the 10 kind of most influential artists in my life to my house for dinner, and they all came. I had Rakim and uh, Run DMC, Dougie Fresh, uh, Big Daddy Kane, Dana Dane, Def Jeff, uh, Speech from Arrested Development. Give me a little background on that. Jennifer said you had the idea like, hey, you were having dinner with... Uh... A basketball player, I think? I was at a dinner party and they, they asked everybody, the host asked everybody to go around the table and name three people that were alive that they would want to have dinner with. And everybody was giving the obvious, well, ones you would think, Oprah. Obama. Or... Yeah, Deepak Chopra, you know, this one and that one. And when it came to me, I was like, God, man, all three of mine are rappers because these three guys in particular kind of changed the trajectory of my life as a kid. Uh, and the direction that I ended up going in, which was music. So I wanted to meet him. So after the dinner, I'm like, I'm just going to invite my favorite artist to my house for dinner. Like instead of who would you, like instead of who going around the table asking who would you invite, I'm going to invite them. And they all came. How did you incentivize them or how'd you like? I didn't incentivize them. I just said, I'm bringing together 10 amazing artists. You guys probably haven't been together in a while. We're going to come hang out, have a great dinner, come up with some ideas. Go to a Hawks game if you want, and I'll put you guys up. So I love that you just you just go for it. I think that's something that like it's a good reminder for myself. It's good for everyone who's going to be listening to this. But you just go for it. Well, what's the worst they could do is say no, and then like, okay, there's no dinner. What's the big deal? So yeah, <laughs> yeah. how was that experience? What was the unbelievable? Like one of the best nights ever, ever. It was unbelievable. What was unbelievable about it? First of all, a lot of these guys were my childhood heroes. They had never been in a room together outside of concerts in like the early 80s, you know, mid 80s. 
So just the dialogue, the camaraderie, lifetime friends, you know, it's, it was unbelievable. I stay in touch with them. So what's in the uh, Grizzly Austin smoothie? My go-to smoothie is banana, multiple bananas, blueberry, strawberry, kale, avocado, and almonds with a little bit of honey. Hmm. No protein powder or anything like that? No, 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 no. How does someone buy a basketball team? Get super lucky in life. <laughs> yeah, I was just, because I'm a huge Warriors fan, so I'm a little hurt with the LeBron thing. I'm still sensitive on that stuff. Yeah. But how does someone end up being a co-owner of a team? Like, how does that all go down? A, you're, you become a very big basketball fan. B, you get very lucky along the way. And then C, you get even luckier that you are part of a winning bid because it's really hard to get involved with an NBA team because there's very little turnover and the bidding process is super competitive. So, you know, those are beachfront properties <laughs> times 10 and, uh, well, times 30, I should say. And uh, the process is hard. Well, the vetting process is competitive. Uh, it requires a lot of capital. It requires someone that steps up to, that wants to be the governor, you know, the principal owner. Ours is a guy named Tony Ressler. Um, so all those things have to come into play and then you have to win the bid. And at any given moment, a bomber can come out and bid $2 billion or something like this and just annihilate the process. It's just a lot of things have to go your way. How did you get involved in it? I was involved with the Hawks as a consultant before the team became for sale. So I was intimately familiar with the team, the players, the management, staff, and loved the franchise. So when they became for sale, uh, as a season ticket holder and as a consultant to the team, I put my hand up in a big way saying, look, I'm here in Atlanta. I really want to be involved and made that aware to, you know, all the, all the prospective bidders and said, look, I'm, I want to be active. And I, you know, my wife and I will put capital in and we're here in Atlanta. So that became attractive to the various groups that were forming. So you went to all the groups. I stayed independent until as long as I could. And then uh, at the last, the way this particular process went down, literally a day before the bids were due, uh, I had like a mini group assembled with four or five friends. And uh, we brought in Grant Hill and Grant introduced us to Tony Ressler. And uh, that formed the backbone of the group. And, uh, and then we submitted our bid. So it was, uh, I'm giving you six months of complete brain power and, and working on this, but that's how it all kind of, very quickly, that's how it came together. Is it public, the amount? I don't know. I think the, the printed number was 735 million. Okay. Is there anything else that, we, that someone doesn't know about buying a team? I never thought that there's only 30 available. I never thought of it. Well, like there's that. not. There's only 30 NBA teams, and at any given time, like right now, none are available. Yeah, I know. I've never thought of it. So that's so interesting. There's no turnover, and I don't anticipate there'll be a lot of turnover in the future. So, you know, every couple of years, maybe one becomes available. But, you know, I guess what? In the last couple of years, the Clippers, the Hawks, and the, the Bucks, and the Sixers, I guess. I've traded, so maybe, yeah, but that's unusual. One every like five years or something like that. It's like unusual. That. How did you decide you want to do that to go on the team or be involved in that, at that level? Just love of basketball, once in a lifetime opportunity, and but really just felt like I could contribute to 
the success of the franchise here in Atlanta because I live here in Atlanta. And uh, just because I had already so many different connections in the league with, you know, I was partners with LeBron, partners with Chris Paul and multiple diff- in, in different ventures throughout my life, uh, friends with a lot of the players. My wife is, you know, uh, um, has built a great business here in Atlanta and employs hundreds of people here in Atlanta. So all those things coming together, I felt like, and I worked with the NBA for years, writing songs, doing marketing. So I had a good understanding of the actual game operations, meaning like everything outside of the actual basketball game while you're there, the videos, uh, the entertainment, the halftime show. I had a very good understanding of that. So when I layered all that together, I'm like, wow, I think I could really move the needle. And it, you know, you have to really love something and be committed to it. If you, because really, what I'm saying is, by owning, being a, you know part of the ownership group, is what I'm really saying is, I'm willing to pay to work, because you make the investment, and you're not getting paid, and you, t- you know, I'm willing to volunteer my time for the betterment of the city and the team. You know. Do you guys get dividends or how does it work? But I'm, I'm just saying like- No, I, no, I just don't know. I'm, well, if the teams are profitable, they can distribute. We, the Hawks have never been profitable, but most teams aren't. Han, did you know that going in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, look, if a lot, you know, you want to reinvest the capital to get a new scoreboard. Yeah, get better know, players. Get or everything. everything. So you don't go into it, at least we didn't go into it. I don't think any of the owners in the team went into it uh, um, although it probably will be a great investment, I think you go into it with the love of basketball and the love of the city and let the chips fall where they fall. Yeah. But it's, it's not like, uh, you know, owning Google stock. Yeah. You don't get like your uh, monthly dividend check from uh, Verizon. No. And you, what are the perks of an owner? Because I, I think none of us, I've never heard of any. Well, for 82 nights a year, you get to watch a game on TV and go crazy, you know, with a real interest, not a fantasy interest. <laughs> yeah, your fantasy team is legit. Yeah, it's yeah. legit. And you get to, um, you get access, practices, and, you know, you're in the war room, and you're, you get to see just exactly how your version of a, of a, a real fantasy team works. And then there's the personal side of it. You know, the good side of it is you get all the access and the fun and, you know, like, but those losses hurt. Hurt more than if- Yeah, you lose in overtime. You, you know, you go as a fan, you go home, you're like, oh man, we should have won that game. Literally your team. Yeah, you, you know, as an owner, you can't sleep. You sold one of your companies to move into Marquee Jets where you had you met LeBron, you sold it. Did you negotiate directly with Buffett or like with someone at Berkshire Hathaway, someone else? Uh, it's funny because I didn't know Warren really well at Marquee Jet and now since the sale, I've gotten to know him really well through my wife, and Warren have a great relationship, and uh, we have a great relationship with Warren and his, and his wife, with Astrid. Uh, but at that time, I didn't have a ton of interaction with him. So most of the negotiations was through the CEO of, of NetJet, a Berkshire company, mm. and the Berkshire brass, but not directly with Warren. Although we did interact with him a lot as we were building the company. He attended a lot of our events, he helped us the negotiation with NetJet was, it was hard because we didn't have a lot of exits. <laughs> you know, like they owned all the airplanes that we were flying on. So uh, they allowed us for a very long time to have an amazing business. 
but uh, ultimately they were going to be our exit. So it was a pretty simple negotiation. Okay. And then you've, you know, so you've interacted with Warren, you said more now over the years. Was there anything that you noticed about him different than a lot of other people? Because he's obviously done something different than everybody else. For one, he's very personable. He's funny. He's hilarious. He's quick-witted. But he can take any, he's one of the few guys that can take any really complicated question on any topic from the Yankees to the yen, to the value of the yen, and explain it like, so like a six-year-old can understand it. And that's a serious talent. What are the note cards on the wall? You have a bunch of like colored note cards with... Those are for various stories and things for speeches that I do, just to mix it up. How do you organize the speech that you give? Well, it depends on the topic, you know? There's a formula for it. It depends what message, with who the audience is and what the message is I'm trying to deliver. I just mix and match multiple stories around multiple themes. A setup, a story, and a takeaway, or takeaways. And that, that same format can repeat multiple times throughout a speech until, depending on how long the speech is and how long your stories are, et cetera. How has your life changed since you have money now? Yeah, I mean, little things that make, make my life easier have come into my life, like an assistant, and I can get a bigger bowl of brown rice than I did. <laughs> but everything else is the same. I still run. I still eat fruit till noon. I still try to do crazy stuff you know, that makes me feel alive. I still have the same friends. I still try to go to the same vacation spot. So re- really, uh, to be honest, it just gives me more access and m- more convenience. But you know, look how I, I mean, nothing's really changed. I've been wearing the same outfits. You do a lot of things that make you feel alive. What is left on the bucket list? Because you've done a lot of the craziest stuff. And it seems like you're, you talked about Mount Everest, I heard earlier. Well, I don't have a bucket list. I have a bucket list. Okay. So the bucket lists or two are like, I want to go meet you know, the Rolling Stones, that, but that, that, those don't make me feel alive. What, what is left on the bucket or bucket? The bucket list of things that are hard, that require preparation, I might fail at, that I, but those are the things that are really memorable. It gets updated all the time. And most of them are physical. You know, I want to ride my bike cross country, something I always wanted to do. I wanted to become a black belt in mixed martial arts. I haven't even started that. I want to master an instrument. I mean, there's a lot of stuff on my, on, my, on my list that I just haven't gotten to. It's so interesting. Why do you think things, why are you more interested in the physical than the mental? Well, all those physical require, equally require mental yeah. discipline. So it's two birds with one stone. I mean, you can't run 100 miles without having a really strong <laughs> yeah. mental side. What do you think about when you're running that long? Because you've done that. Finishing. Survival. What can I, everything, no matter what it takes, I got to finish this. So I break those, I break a race like that up into very, very, very small increments, almost like 10 minute increments. So get to the next 10 minute mark, the next 10 minute mark. Mm. But they require a tremendous amount of discipline. Not to fight off the will to stop because it's, it's painful. Go like this with your finger. For, for an hour, your finger's going to fall off, you know, so go run, tw- go run for 23 hours and tell me how you feel. Like you, you, your body's going to be like, what are you doing? Yeah. Stop. So then you have to be disciplined enough to be like, I'm not stopping. Have you ever failed? Yeah. What's like the last one that comes to mind? Mount Washington. I'm going back. I'm going back. Cause I, I like that you go top. back at it though. Huh? Do you normally, when you fail, you're like, all right, I'm going right back at it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. Depending on what it is, but I try not to fail. I try to, you know, everybody fails. And if you don't fail, you're probably not pushing yourself hard enough. Yeah. The, uh, one of the questions, uh, this, have you heard, do you know who Mike Posner is? Yeah. 
So I was texting him and I was like, yo, I'm meeting with you. I was like, what's one question you want me to ask you? He said, what is one regret you have not doing before you had kids? I would probably the bike ride because it's going to take 30 to 45 days. And I don't know how I'm going to do that with kids. So I wish I would have done that earlier. But the other thing I would say that, that I got a lot, I got a lot out of my system. That's why I'm lucky that I got married late. It allowed me to do a lot of stuff on my list that I wanted to do that you can't do when you have kids. How do you guys make sure your kids don't get spoiled? Like, how do you guys deal with that? It's something that we work on all the time. And it, it's, uh, I don't think one has to do anything with the other. I think that, you know, you would think like, oh, you have all this stuff or access to stuff. But I don't think that that means that, that necessarily that you're going to have kids that are um, more inclined to be spoiled. I think it all has to do with the values, how they see you treat people, um, the boundaries you put around them. So flying on a private plane versus a commercial plane, um, I don't think that's going to necessarily lead to quote unquote being spoiled versus look everybody in the eye, say thank you, clean up, hear your chores, you know, and putting boundaries around their childhood, which we do. One thing for yourself, I was curious is like, how do you keep the discipline or like the learnings up from that? Because like you had such, you had like an insanely high experience that obviously comes back down. I was wondering right. like how you process that and dealt with it. Uh, well, it's hard to stay consistent, but I just try to do something that makes me really uncomfortable every day. So, and that's just a theme with me. So, you know, today I didn't really want to go for a run this morning, but I did. So I just try to do that. That, that was my big takeaway from my 30 days living with a seal was just, you know, the importance of doing something consistently that's hard. So you create an environment in your head that like when things are hard in life, life is hard. You don't quit. You keep going. So um, that's what I try to do. That, that, that was kind of like my, a big takeaway for me. And I try to incorporate that still. So I don't do a thousand pushups in a day. That's not realistic for me at this point. Making sure I get a run in when I'd much rather sit on my couch, you know, because my son got me up at three in the morning uh, is doable. And I try to make sure that I don't say, eh, I'm not going to do that today. Yeah. Is there any uncomfortable or challenges that you think about? Like the, the ones that you go into? Every day I take a freezing cold shower. No matter how many times I do it, it's always uncomfortable. Um, I just do everything I can as it presents itself to not shy away from things that are hard. There's a famous quote, how you do anything is how you do everything. So all the stuff like, I don't want to make my bed today. Well, that's okay. But if you don't, that's an indication of being lazy and, the, and where you're turning, what you're turning into. So I try to do all those little things, even if I don't want to throw out this, you know, wipe off the chocolate on my desk today, I'm going to do it anyway. Because if I don't, that's an indication of what I'm becoming. You get one shot at life. Why wouldn't you want to operate at 110%. What have you noticed about yourself since doing the challenges? Like, is it that you're like, wow, I can do so much more? I, I get, I've been, and the reason I ask is I'm trying to clarify the message for myself. So like, I've been trying cold showers, which I fucking love. Um, I don't love, but I do. Like I'm doing like the no planning week, the alone week, no drinking. What you're doing is you're retraining your brain. So you are, you are reframing the way you think. And you are, you're creating a different Noah than the Noah that was 
a kid, probably. So by doing all these things, by being alone, you're becoming a different person than the 7 billion humans on the planet. Those things translate into everyday life in ways that you don't even realize it yet. So that's what happened for me. Is there anything you've never done because you've been afraid? Yeah, no, I'm like not this invincible character at yeah. all. Uh, yes, I have tons of fears. My, really, my point is I, I, I've created an I won't quit attitude. And, and I'm not scared to try attitude. I'm not a uh, thrill seeker. I'm not gonna, I don't wanna jump out of an airplane. I don't wanna jump off. I don't like bungee jumping. That doesn't get me off. I like more physical endurance related tests, business challenges, you know, cold water mental stuff versus the risk for like that huge adrenaline rush from jumping off of a mountain. Was this how it's always been for you or was there more of a time where it started changing? It's evolved into this just because these are the things that, you know, really make me appreciate things and and celebrate life more. Do you think it's when you're 34? (laughs) I think I started running three miles as a goal and built myself up to 100 and I realized, wow, I've under-indexed so much in my running. I'm capable of so much more. What other areas of my life am I under indexing in? And I'm like, I'm leaving too much on the table. Dude, that's exactly the phrase I was thinking about. Or not thinking about, that I wanted to hear. Well, you got it. That was it. Under indexing. You had so much more capability and ability to do a lot of things that you just never even knew you could. Right? And that's it. Uh, what did you call under indexing? Or, you know, what do you think like, can spark for them to start thinking bigger or start like, the seal is obviously a big, a big change, like having a seal live with you. But like, is there anything on a smaller scale that everyone could do to get like start realizing, like, holy shit, there's a lot more in me than I realized? I think you have to put something on your list for this year that's super challenging, so you can see how far you can really push your limits, and then you can just self evaluate and be like, God, I didn't think I could ever. You know, I'm doing this challenge now. This. 2017 of everything challenge and people are saying I never thought I could do and basically what it is is every month there's a new challenge that we post and if people do it they just participate and finish the challenge I donate to the chat to the charity of whatever charity we're honoring that month so in January it was the special operations warrior foundation this month it's triple negative breast cancer but what's happening is we have thousands of people participating in these challenges and so many of them are saying, God, I never thought I could do a hundred burpees or whatever. And my response is great. There's probably a lot of areas in your life where you didn't think you could, but just like you did with the burpees, you can. So it's opened up this concept of under indexing. So there's a lot of people that have sold businesses and made money and like whoopie do. So what? I mean, that's great, but I mean, you know, you can look at a video, at a screen all day, trade stocks, not knocking anyone that does that, be great at it, become a billionaire, but what have you contributed to the world? What, how have you really grown? You, okay, so you've mastered a screen and picking stocks. Again, that's fantastic because maybe you'll give a lot of that money away, maybe you'll, but what have you really, that's not living at all to me. So my accomplishments aren't about like, okay, we built this airplane company and we sold it. I mean, that's an amazing, and I'm not, and I'm super duper proud of it, but that's all like rear, rear view mirror stuff to me. It's just like it happened. I mean, like who cares now? I mean, no one's thinking about it. You're gonna leave this meeting. You're not gonna be like, 
Jesse sold to Jack Company. You're going to worry about your own stuff. So I don't really care about that stuff, honestly. I mean, if you weren't asking me about Marquee Jet or Buffett or this or that, it's not even on my, and it was 15 years of my life. It's not even on my radar. It's not even in my mind, even though I spend so much time on it. It's just done. We have this, in, first of all, so you can follow me at, at the, the 100, number 100 mile man on Instagram or Twitter or Jesse at Slur Facebook. But I would, I'm trying to really build this group, this two, hashtag 2017 of everything challenge because uh, hashtag 2017 of everything because, um, and I coin it fitlanthropy because it marries fitness and philanthropy, two things that I love. And uh, I want to build that group because all you have to do is participate, which is going to be incredibly beneficial for you, and I'll donate to the charity. It's like a win-win. So we build awareness and money just by participating. You don't have to ask anyone to put money in, nothing like that. And uh, I really want to get this thing going. We have thousands of people doing it, but I want 10,000 people doing it because uh, it's just better for the different charities every month. And, uh, and we've built this really strong community within Facebook of support, encouragement, and people are doing stuff that they never thought they could do, getting more fit, getting more mentally fit, and helping charities. That's awesome. So everyone should be checking out the hashtag 2017 of everything. That's awesome. I love that you just like, that's what you really want. That's what I want right now. Yeah. All right, y'all. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. What I want you to go now do is there's a thing called IG. I guess you guys call it Instagram or Twitter. Go check out Jesse. It's the 100 mile man. Check him out on Instagram or Twitter as well. He's got a dope Facebook group for exercise and he gives a lot of money away for charity. So let's go get his money. It'll go to charity. Plus you'll get some exercises at we do hard It could potentially be a porno video, but it's most likely an exercise group. We do hard Thank you so much to Jesse. If you like this episode, go and do five push-ups right now. Just get on the ground, do five push-ups. Here, hold on, I'm going to do them. Okay, I did it. So you did that, and have a great day. What's your favorite exercise routine?